Lord, we are so grateful for the privilege of gathering as the blood-bought church of God. Lord, thank you that you translated us out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of the Son of your love. Lord, we ask that you would open our eyes and unstop our ears and soften our hearts and mobilize our lives so that we walk out of here wanting to live out our high calling in Christ all the more than we did when we walked in a few minutes ago. Lord, I pray that my voice will not get in the way of hearing your voice because at the end of the day, this is about you speaking to your people through your word. We love you, Lord. Would you shape us and would you change us and would you make Restore Church be everything you want her to be for your glory and for the good of this neighborhood. We ask in Jesus' name and all God's people prayed, amen. amen. The human body is an absolute marvel masterpiece. Do you know how many atoms compose your body? Seven octillion atoms in your body. That's a seven with 27 zeros. I've never seen it. That's a very big number. Do you know that every second your body creates 25 million new cell cells? Every second. Which means every 15 seconds your body creates more cells than there are citizens in this country. The body is a marvel and a masterpiece. You have in your body up to 60 to 80,000 blood vessels. If that was stretched out in linear miles, that would cover the world three times and then some. And speaking of blood and blood vessels, um, I'm told, doing Mr. Google told me as I was researching stuff about the body, that when you laugh heartily, it dilates your blood vessels, expanding and increasing blood flow, blood flow for a full 45 minutes, which just reminds us of what it says in Proverbs, that a merry heart is indeed good medicine. And take your lungs with all of its air sacs and air pockets. If you were to flatten out the tissue of your lungs, it would cover the space the size of a tennis court. That is mind-boggling to me. And your bone, when it is healthy, is so uh, dense, it is stronger than tempered steel. I don't know how this works because I have broken bones, but this is what they say. Um, a, a block the size of a matchbox could support 18,000 pounds. And then we get to your brain. Your brain has 125 million synapses in something called your cerebral cortex. 86 billion neurons are in your brain, the brain at large each having 400,000 dendrites. And this three-pound command center controls everything you do, both consciously and unconsciously. The mind truly is mind-boggling in its complexity. Now, i got to throw in this additional factoid since I discovered it. Do you know that every day your saliva glands, and you need saliva for various reasons, produces one liter of spit, probably a little bit more if you chew tobacco, and in a lifetime, you will create enough saliva to fill up two swimming pools, which proves we are slobber buckets after all. Now, whatever you think of that particular uh, biological fact, it is non, non, 
negotiable. It is, you can't argue against the fact that our bodies are marvelous in their masterpieces, particularly the way they work together. Maybe you woke up this morning, you saw some food, say, on the table, your eyes saw the food, signals were sent by your brain to your legs to walk over there, then signals to your arms to grab and reach out for the food, and then signals to your fingers to scoop up the food and put it in your mouth, Singles, signals to your jaws and your, in your teeth and all that to chew, and then signals to your throat muscles and esophagus to take it down, and I don't think I need to go too much further than that. But your body is marvelous. It is a masterpiece, particularly the way all the parts work together. In fact, when something is not working in your body, such as your throat or your voice, you are acutely aware of it, right? Now, the reason I took a few minutes to open up with this illustration about the, the, the marvel and masterpiece of our body is because for the first time in his writings, the Apostle Paul introduces the analogy between the human body and the church of God. And you couldn't have missed it when Pastor Charles read the text. In 20 verses, you have the word body some 17 times. And in some 20 verses, you have the word part or member, two different words, collectively 14 times. He has drawn an analogy between the human body and the body of Christ. Now, to reset the context, we saw last week that they were putting up tongues as a badge of spirituality. If you want to be someone and something, you need to speak in tongues. Now, there was pride being generated by that. We're better than you because we have gifts you don't, chump. And the stench that always flows out of pride, sinful self-sufficiency. Since you don't have that gift, you don't matter as much. We don't really need you. Now, Paul is addressing all of this in 1 Corinthians 12 through 14, we started off with the first of five messages last week, and we laid this foundation that God gives gifts. You remember that? He gives gifts to all. And the key verse for these three chapters is verse 7, where it says, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the good of all. In other words, the reason we have gifts is why? For the good of us all. And I would say this. And by the way, these gifts, we, we cover some of them. Some of them are gifts that you get at salvation. Some of them are abilities God already laced in you by virtue of his creative act in making you. But now gifts or talents that are harnessed or energized for the kingdom of God. Everybody has gifts and for the, for the good of everyone. Now here's the big idea for today. Because everybody has gifts and it's for the good of all, we need each other. If there's one thing I want you to walk away with from this raspy voiced message today is that we really need each other. I want every person here to, to, to walk out knowing this, that without exception, without exception, every individual here is vital and essential to the unified 
healthy functioning of our body. Every single person here, without exception, is vital and essential to the unified, healthy functioning of this body. And for that reason, we need each other. So if you have an outline, and of course, I never find my typos until actually, until actually I print them. It once again happens, so there's a typo. At least you can give me an A for consistency there. We're just going to walk this text, okay? And if you need to turn off the, because uh, I'm not going to elevate like I usually do, um, verses 12 and 13, Paul is going to start with the very, well, maybe not that much, but no, that's okay. Thank you so much up there. Appreciate you guys. He's going to start with the very thing that pride was disrupting unity. And in these two verses, he's going to emphasize this point. There are many parts, yet how many bodies? One body. Look at verse 12. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. Many members, one body. What he's really saying is all of you well, all of your differences are actually one. I wonder if here, anybody here has ever coached a team. Probably like, raise your hand if you've coached a team. Okay. You know that one of the great challenges being a coach is to get the individual members of your team to stop thinking about themselves first, right? Like, am I going to start? What position am I going to play? You think about that as a player on a team. If you've been on a team, you thought about that. But, but a coach is trying to move the individual team members past that and to buy into the collective good of the larger entity, namely the team. It's an old cliche, but it's a true one. There is no I in team. T-E-A-M. We'll find an I in the spelling of team. And when a team finally gets to that point where the, where the individuals buy into the collective good, man, there is no limit to where that team can go. Same thing in a, in a military unit. I remember I had the privilege of, of being the platoon commander, 2nd Platoon, Kilo Company, 3rd Battalion, 6th Marines. It feels good just to say that. And, man, we had, we had guys from all over the Bronx, West Virginia, college grads. Some people probably with some post-grad stuff. People with... I don't even know how few of them made it through high school. Honestly, I got a kid named, I won't say his name because we keep in touch, but he was a great point man from West Virginia. I don't think he could have spelled the, okay? So big diversity in education levels. Um, big diversity in geographic background, rural, urban, suburban. We probably had some really rich kids, mostly middle class and some poor kids. We had brown and black and white. But it was a beautiful thing to see our platoon come together and work as one. They used to say about 2nd Platoon Kilo Company, don't let the dogs out. We took that as a badge of honor. We were all dogs, and we were all from different walks of life. It was a quarter century later, some of these relationships still exist across extremely different lines of life. That's what Paul's getting at here. Only he's up in the ante. 
What has brought us together is not merely making the same team or enlisting in the same military or trying to win the same championship or fighting the same combat mission. No, what has brought us together is the cross of Christ. We are in this room this morning doing, a, doing this, and we could be doing a lot of other things like the world is. Why? Because we have confessed Jesus Christ. And as we saw last week, that is because of the sovereign work of the Holy Spirit who dug us out of the grave, or to switch metaphors, did divine LASIK surgery on our blind eyes, enabling us to see our sin and trust Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Verse 3, no one can call Jesus Lord. How? Except how? But by the Holy Spirit. And when that happened, this is what verse 13 says happened. For in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and we're all made to drink of one spirit. When we confess Christ, we are all baptized in one spirit, made to drink of one spirit. Now, that's not talking about water baptism there. It is using fluid as an illustration, but it's talking about the work of the Spirit in uniting us by faith to Christ and to one another. And what Paul is doing right here, I have to tell you, is absolutely brilliant. You got to see it. You got to see this. Remember, they were dividing at this church based on whether or not they spoke in tongues or not, right? If you spoke in tongues, you, were, you had the spirit and you were spiritual. If you didn't speak in tongues, you didn't have the spirit and you weren't so spiritual. <laughs> Just like, by the way, there's groups like that today. You know, they say that baptism of the spirit is just for a few, and if it happens for you, you will speak in tongues. Now, Paul, right here, decimates that unity dividing heresy by saying very clearly, for in one spirit we were all baptized into one body and were all made to drink of one spirit. Thistleton, in his excellent commentary, says those who go to this text to seek to justify the notion of baptism of the spirit for an elite few turn this text on its head. Because this text makes it clear it all happened to everyone. Now, as this letter was being read that Paul wrote to the church at Corinth as they were assembled and somebody was reading them, I can imagine people wincing and ducking because Paul is throwing some body shots at them for the way they were dividing the body over the heresy of who's in and who's out based on the gift of tongues. Now, he goes even further to obliterate Two major distinctions prevalent in Greek culture that divided people. Not that we would know anything about divisions in our culture, right? And in that culture, it was things that still exist today. Ethnicity and social status. Look what he says again. For in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks. That's ethnicity right there. Slaves are free. He decimates the idea of bringing the divides of culture up into the body of Christ. Now, of course, the ethnicities still exist. 
still Jews and Greeks at that church. And the social statuses still exist. They're still slaves and free. But that's no longer the primary way through which they look at each other. They look at each other as those in Christ. And Paul writes these words then in verses 12 and 13 to remind them of their oneness, of their unity. And that's where it's got to start for us, Restored Church. We have to start with our position of being one in Christ. For by one spirit, we're all baptized, Jews and Greeks, slaves and free, and then made to drink of the same spirit. Now, unity is not uniformity, though. It ain't cookie cutter stuff. It's not all you assimilate and become like this or become like dominant culture or anything like that. No, 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 no. Because the second paragraph, he lays out and that's his says there are many parts but one body. Diversity says there's one body but many parts. I want you to see this. And I love what D.A. Carson said about God's love for diversity or God's love for variety. Carson said, God makes snowflakes and every one of them is different. We make ice cubes and every one of them is the same. God loves variety and diversity. Look at what he says in verse 14. For the body does not consist of one member or one part, but of many. And then he offers up two hypothetical statements. Verse 15, if the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body, would it? Verse 16, and if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. Now, by the way, if your foot or your eye or ear ever speak to you, would you just call somebody, all right? We won't, no questions asked. We'll walk with you through that, but just let us know if that happens. Don't you ever read scripture like that? Like, that's kind of funny. What are you saying, right foot? But then in verses 17, there's two rhetor- rhetorical questions. If the whole body were an eye, that would look weird. Where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged, and I'm sorry, if the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? I mean, you can just imagine just an eye with, with two feet. Isn't there a comic, a cartoon character like that? Or just an ear? I mean, imagine you're trying to smell. All you are is an ear. I'm not smelling anything. It's weird. That's not the way it works. And that's his point. And then verse 18, he makes this point. Just as God sovereignly and marvelously and majestically created the masterpiece of the human body by assigning parts and roles so the body works together a certain way, so it is with the body of Christ. particular members and putting them in particular bodies so that you have a whole person at that local church. Look what he says in verse 18. But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. Key words, he arranged and he chose. He put the parts together of restored church. And he's continuing to put parts together. Body members. Now, would anyone here ever have a doctor say, you know what, 
I think I need to amputate your right arm. And you say, oh, sure, yeah, go ahead. Uh, when should I come in for that procedure? You're going to ask a lot of questions, right? Like, you may need to get your arm amputated, but you, want, you ain't going to deal with it flippantly, right? We would never be flippant about physical amputation, but we're so doggone flippant about spiritual amputation. The mouth says something we don't like, we rip ourselves off the body, we're gone. The heart feels something we don't feel, we rip ourselves off the body and we're gone. The hand does something that we didn't want the hand to do, we rip ourselves off the body and we're gone. Do you get the point? Body parts, one body but many members. And he wraps up this in verse 19, this point, by saying, if all were a single member, where would the body be? That's not how bodies work. Bodies aren't just an ear or just an eye or just a leg. It's all those things and more. As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. See, unity says there are many parts, yet one body. Diversity says there's one body, yet many parts. Those work together. Now, the third movement here He's going to emphasize our interdependence. Verses 21 through 26. Are you all with me? I feel like my voice is subduing everybody. I don't want that. Can you hear me all right? He's emphasizing interdependence. Verses 21 through 26. And basically, I put it this way. Because we are one, with how many parts? We need each other. We need each other. Look how he kicks it off. Verse 21. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, chump. Nor again, the head to the feet. I have no need of you, stinky feet. Now, why? Why is that the case? Well, because the eye can't pick something up for itself, right? Eyes don't pick things up, do they? So the eye needs the hand. And, well, when it comes to the head and the feet, the head can't walk. The head needs the feet to walk the head where the head needs to go. It's interdependence and vice versa. The hand needs the eye. Otherwise, where does it know where to pick something up? And the feet need the head. How else would it know where to walk? He is emphasizing interdependence. Now, here's where he goes in in a fresh wave of attack almost against the pride of this church that was feeding and fueling the stench of sinful self-dependence. Fighting against interdependence is what they were doing. We don't need you. Because in the next few verses, he's going to talk about parts that seem weaker, not parts that are weaker. There's the word seem in our text. You can look at it. Parts that we think, not are, but we think are less honorable, and parts that are less presentable, so we address them with modesty, that is, we cover them. Now, there's all kinds of conjecture of what he's getting at. Some think it's a thinly veiled reference to how they were looking down on people who were not as wealthy or not as high of a social status, based on what was happening at communion. Oh, that's, that's a weaker part. That's a less, honor part, less honorable part. Oh, we, we shouldn't even reveal that part. That, that, that kind of thing. 
Others say, oh no, what, he, what he's really talking about is um, parts that were more flashy, that is the gift of tongues, the gift of prophecy and all that, looking down on people who didn't have as flashy gifts. You are not as important, you are weaker, you are less honorable. Probably that and more. It may even reference people in that congregation who had particular disabilities or struggles. I love what Jürgen Moltmann said. He said this. He argued that believers who bring with them into the body of Christ disabilities or experiences of suffering may be the most precious charismatic, that means grace gift part of the body. Why? Because every church stands in genuine need of such to live out and teach the character of the gospel and of a life of interdependence. Now, those are really great words, probably addressing all those things, people looking down on others because of their differences or the gifts that they have. Now, in the illustration, what does he mean by weaker parts? Most commentators think when he says weaker parts, he's talking about your insides, your, your, what we would call your vitals, your heart, your lungs, your internal organs. Now, they don't seem like much. They're inside you. That's why they say they seem to, like to be weaker, but he actually uses the word indispensable. They're indispensable. You can't get by without them. You can get by without your ear. You can get by without your arm. You can get by without your leg. You can get by without your eye. I don't think you're going to go too far without your heart or your liver. They're vitals. That's why we call them our vitals. They may not be visible, but they're vital. And we don't think about them much. I don't look in the mirror and say, hmm, how's my small intestine doing, you know? But man, when my small intestine stops working and I get the uh, rapid weight loss flu, I know it ain't working. The whole body suffers, right? And then when he talks about, we'll just put these together, less honorable parts and unpresentable parts. You know what he's talking about? What we say in our family is the kids, we raise our kids, the private parts, right? He's talking about the private parts. And he's actually making the point in these verses that we actually treat them with greater honor and modesty by covering those parts. Honor and modesty, which, by the way, men and women should inform us about how we dress and what we cover and what we don't cover and what we should cover. But here's Paul, Paul's point. We need all the parts, the ones inside that we can't see, the ones that may be on the outside, but we still nonetheless cover out of modesty, we need each other, whatever you are. Sure, you might not be flashing up front like a face or like eyes, but without the vitals, you die. And without the reproductive organs, we stop reproducing. We need each other is what he's getting at. And recognizing we need each other does two healthy things for the local church. I want you to see this right out of the text. Verse 28, this is all true that there be no division in the body. You see, when we really relish and embrace and grasp the concept that we all need each other, it 
destroys the divisiveness of ranking and stratifying gifts and people. Because you come to realize we need each other. We all might have massively different roles, different gifts, different lanes of responsibility, but we're all very, very important to the health of each other. And not only kills division, but it also creates an ethos of care. But the, that the members may have the same care for one another, the same care. When you really are gripped by this fact that we all need each other, we have various roles, very different roles, but we're all very important. It makes you then say, well, then how can I use my particular gifting to care for others in the body? We create a culture of care. And he closes out the body illustration, emphasizing in the third paragraph, interdependence, by talking about how we are interdependent both in suffering and success. This is right in the text. If one member suffers, verse 28, what happens? All suffer together. Who has had the good fortune of stubbing their toe in the middle of the night going, say, to the restroom or something? Now, your toe doesn't stand down there and say, this really hurts, right? You, you, you immediately, you know, pull up your other leg. You start hopping. You try and, or, you know, you start rubbing your toe. Maybe you have a few spicy words that are coming out of your mouth or spicy thoughts that are coming to your mind. Your whole body suffers. That stubbed toe don't exist. And it hurts your whole body. But then he goes on to say, if one member is honored, all rejoice together. Say you're watching uh, the Summer Olympics. I know the Winter Olympics just started. You're watching Summer Olympics. And, and somebody wins the 400-meter hurdles. And that person is interviewed afterward. The interviewer does not take the microphone and put it down at the runner's kneecaps and say, congratulations on a great race, legs. You did really good. Right? That would be really weird. The whole runner is congratulating, right? Because it wasn't just the legs that crossed the finish line. It was the whole body. You get the point? So when someone is doing well in their gifting, the whole body rejoices. And so what Paul is doing, he's taking painstaking time to talk about unity. There are many parts, yet one body. And then diversity. There's one body, yet many parts. And then interdependence. Because there is one body with many parts, we need each other. And in the final paragraph, that's, I think, what he really hammers home. He says, now you, verse 27, are the body of Christ. That's how you could translate it. Now you all are the body of Christ. Now you guys are the body of Christ. It's plural. He's talking in plural form and individually members of it. Interdependence, diversity, and unity. And then in verse 28, he adds to a list of gifts that he started earlier just to make the point there are many different parts in a healthy body that functions in a unified way. And, and, and I, I want to just hit these, because it is in the text, and I do want to preach through the text. I want to hit these seven things. I won't discuss why three of them are offices, four of them are particular giftings. I'm just going to put them together. 
But the first thing is, is he says, he has given us, as appointed in the church, first two apostles. Do you think there are apostles today? What do you guys think? Now, by the way, he says first, second. People debate, does that mean like of the most important or just like a, long, like a grocery list? Hey, first get the lettuce, second pick up the tomatoes. I don't know. I'm just going to take it as it comes. I do not believe that today the biblical office of prophet is operative. I mean, let me say apostle. I'll get the prophet in just a second. Um, and by the way, you, you can check this out for yourself. People claiming to be apostles, as everyone does today, that's a really new phenomenon from the last 120 years. But forget my opinion. What does the Word of God say? I'm basing my opinion on the Word of God. Let me try and convince you. You don't have time to run all the text. But there, there are five signs of an apostle, okay? Number one, an apostle was specifically called by Jesus Christ, like literally face-to-face. Matthew 10, the 12 apostles. Acts 1, Matthias. Galatians 1, Paul. It follows, second of all, that they all had seen the resurrected Christ in his flesh on earth. Again, that's in Acts 1, 1 Corinthians 9, 1 Corinthians 15. You can run the text. Third of all, it follows that they perform the undeniable signs of an apostle, 2 Corinthians 12, 12. There were signs of an apostle. They weren't like, he healed my backache. You know, he took away my toothache. No, like, bona fide, real deal, you can't fabricate this, miracles. The signs of an apostle. Fourth of all, they spoke with the authority of Old Testament scripture because what what they wrote in many cases actually became scripture. The gospel according to Matthew, right? The gospel according to John, Paul. Second Thessalonians 2.13 is the support verse for that. And then fifth and finally, Ephesians 2.20 says, the church was built by the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ being the chief cornerstone. They laid the foundation of the church preaching Jesus Christ. So I, I don't believe that when someone says I'm an apostle, I don't believe that there are in the, in, the, in the biblical sense apostles. Now, do people have the apostolic gift? Yeah, the word simply means apostolic means to send and to send with effectiveness. There are people who today manifest an apostolic gift of being sent and they multiply a missionary, a church planner perhaps, things like that. Second of all, it says he gave prophets. Last week, in some detail, I walked through what prophesying looks like in this, in this era, in this age. And I'll get in more detail on that in three weeks when we come to 1 Corinthians 14. But I would say the, the, the office of prophet, like apostle, is no longer a functioning office. Why? Because we have a closed canon of Scripture. The last prophet in that sense to receive revelation was John on the Isle of Patmos when he literally received the book of Revelation. Then you go to teacher, also in Ephesians 4. Paul says that's the ongoing staple of Christianity. 
Teachers do now what they've always done in the history of the church and the history of Israel is they explain what God has said and then they apply what God has said. Then you get to uh, miracles. Now, do miracles still happen? Yes or no? Yes. But it would be a distortion of the biblical record to act even like miracles were always happening in the Bible. Because out of all the passages in the Bible, and there's a lot, right? Only 265 record miracles in just 5% of the biblical record. They were, after all, miracles. If you were to chart that out, in the Bible, there's about five clusters of miraculous activity. Other than that, it was mostly providential activity. You have it, number one, during the time of Moses and Aaron and the Exodus. You have it, number two, during the times of Elijah and Elisha. Number three, Daniel and his boys. And then Jesus and the apostles. The fifth one is going to be at the return of Christ. So miracles do happen, but they aren't everyday things. They weren't in the scripture. But man, God can do the miraculous. Then you have this, gifts of healing. Do people have gifts of healing? Absolutely. Spiritual healing, mental healing, emotional healing, physical healing. It's plural, gifts of healings as I mentioned last week. And then there's the gift of helping people who are particularly burdened and gifted to help others. I'm so glad we have people like that at this church. I I just think, I think of the Havers. You're right up front. I'm calling you guys out. Don't they have the gift of helping? How many people have they, how many families here have they poured into? Like how many families have been a recipient of their grace? Yes. That's the gift of help. Sorry to put you guys on blast, but I praise God for you guys. It's so true. And then you have the gift of uh, administration. You shouldn't think spreadsheets, though we do need spreadsheet help, okay? You should think actually of a steering wheel because the word, a cognate of the word administration is translated uh, pilot. These are people with the gift of providing direction and leadership and guidance. And then finally, various kinds of tongues. There are various kinds of tongues, And we're going to hit that again when we get to 1 Corinthians 14. But anybody who ever says tongues are necessary for salvation needs to read the final verses of this section. Because he's going to ask seven questions, all of which demand an emphatic no. Let me read them. Are all apostles answer? Even then. Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? No. So that the point is, that's why we need each other, because we ain't everything, right? Not everybody's an ear. Not everyone's an intestine. Not everyone's an eye. We're all different parts. We need each other. And then he says in verse 31, but earnestly desire the higher gifts. Again, we're going to get to that. The higher gifts are, are not tongues. They're actually gifts which are intelligible and thus build each other up. I don't have time to, to show how 1 Corinthians 14 goes that way, but 14 times, four times says to build each other up. We'll get there. Intelligible gifts. And then he says, and I will show you still a more excellent way, the motivation of love. And that we turn to chapter 13. I'm, I'm just playing. We're not. Okay, okay, we're, we're done, okay? Now, this has been a struggle for me, so I'm sure it's been a struggle for you. But I, I do want to close with, with a story and, and, and a few exhortations. Pastor Jason Fritz uh, tells a story of visiting Argentina 
Uh, I was on a mission trip with his church. And he encountered a woman who had been severely attacked. He doesn't say what kind of attack it was, but it was bad. She lost both her hands. She lost the bottoms of her, uh, of her legs. I mean, she was in bad shape. And she lived in a home for disabled people. When we visited the home, it was, it was clearly very impoverished. They didn't have many resources. Uh, as you can imagine, a lot of people were bedridden. It didn't smell that good. And he remembers hearing a thump, thump, shh, shh, thump, thump, shh, shh, thump, thump, shh, shh. And he sees this woman who had lost her hands and the bottom of her legs trying to just kind of drag herself across the floor, Tim as he entered the house. And he looks back and remembers kind of thinking, if, if there's anybody who you would ever wonder, could they possibly contribute anything to anyone, it would have been this woman. But she came over to him, thump, thump, shh, shh, thump, thump, shh, dragging her body across the floor. And he said she, she greeted him with the brightest and sweetest smile he had ever seen. And then she said in her best English she could, she could muster up, so good to have you join us today. Could I introduce you to a few of my friends? And he said, sure, that, that would be great. Thump, thump, shh, shh, thump, thump, shh, shh. She took him from room to room and bed to bed to meet with people who were so disabled they couldn't even get out of bed. And as she was introducing him to all of her friends, as she genuinely called them, she said, so have you figured out where you're going to go when you die? Do you know Jesus? And he was blown away, he said. This woman who moments ago thought, what could she possibly contribute to the kingdom of God? <laughs> yeah, she was a deeply marred body physically, but she seemed healthier than most as she exerted her gift of encouragement and of mercy and of hospitality and of evangelism. And he said to himself, what's your excuse? Well, let me ask you, as I ask myself, what's your excuse? <laughs> we need each other. And as we go to the table, I want to give you three C's. I'm going to be real quick with this. I want to talk about commitment, family. What is the opposite of a member? What's the opposite of a member? Kind of a trick question here. I, I get it. It's a dismember. Y'all with me? Dismemberment have you ever seen a scene of a horrific traffic accident or the scene of a gruesome murder from one of these shows or the scene of a horrific bombing attack? Dismemberment is tragic, it's ugly, and it's certainly not healthy. Maybe you need to stop being a dismember and become a member. Something to consider, right? But someone can also be a dismembered member 
You're not faithful. You're not really around. You don't really serve. Truth be told, you only show up when you are to serve. That's tragic. It's ugly. It's unhealthy. And it needs to stop. It's a call to commit to faithful presence and faithful participation with the gifts that God has given you sovereignly for the good of the body. We need each other. We need you. You need us. See commitment. See conviction. I want you to get a healthy conviction about your need for the church. If you think you can be a Christian without being fully and truly committed to the church, maybe you can. I don't know. Maybe. But you sure enough are not going to reflect the new creation in Christ God has saved you to be. You're probably going to look more like the world as you fly solo. Makes as much sense as somebody saying, oh, I think I can stay alive on bread and water. You probably can, but you ain't going to be so healthy. I want you to stir up this conviction that we need each other. And maybe where the points of differences are the greatest, are the points of greatest need for needing each other. Honestly, we need each other. Read the book of Hebrews, how they need each other. I will tell you this. There are people in this body who have sustained me through many of my darkest hours, who have seen my best and they see my worst, and they've walked with me. We need each other. And then I would just say, you got to look to the cross to begin to do this. You got to look to the cross, look to the cross, to the one who was perfect, yet marred beyond comprehension. As he who knew no sin was made to be sin for us. Bearing our sin in our place in order to create what the scripture calls a new humanity of people who will love and serve each other. So brothers, if you would come with the elements to hand them out up front, you guys can line up. I want to say this. When I look the cross, I'm faced with this question. If Jesus died for me, how can I not live for him? Or if Jesus died for us, how can I not live for us? If he gave his body and his blood out of love to save us, how can I not give my life to those that he gave his life for in order to serve them with the gifts that they have just like they have, that I have for them, just like they do for me. And the beautiful thing is, is the God who calls us to that himself supplies the power. Paul put it this way in Galatians 2, I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. In the life I live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Christ in us, the hope of glory. I just think there needs to come a time when people say, I need, I need to put first things first. I just do. You cannot say 
you're faithfully walking with God when you're not faithfully committed to the bride. You just can't. You can't. We live in a day of flippant amputation. I don't know how the Lord maybe spoke to you through this message. Maybe there's sins you need to confess. Maybe there's people that you need to address. But these elements remind us what a quick forgiver our Christ is. He said that <laughs> he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness as we confess our sin and then walk in the light.